keep track of the time uh, for us. Well, this morning in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, we're going to see that time is on our side. Uh, Barry uh, Dunlap said I should, uh, should write a book on Ecclesiastes called Rockin' Through Ecclesiastes since... Uh, last week I used so many references and I realized that this week I could use a lot of uh, uh, pop, pop culture and old classic rock references. And so, of course, this one is another one from the Rolling Stones, Time is on My Side, and it was been covered by uh, a variety of people uh, over the years. Uh, it seemed a fitting one for today's uh, message from Ecclesiastes about time. I had a friend in college uh, that, uh, way smarter than me, um, most people are way smarter than me, but this guy really was like very, very smart. Um, and he actually came up with a mathematical formula to explain how it is that as we get older, time seems to go faster. So he created a mathematical formula to explain our experience of time. I mean, just, just think about having to do something like that. It makes my head explode. But, but he did this, and he had this idea of, of making it a popular thing to explain and put this, uh, to explain this formula, and he wanted to put it on t-shirts, and he wanted everybody to think about time in the way that he had created this mathematical formula. Um, now, how many of you have a t-shirt with that math mathematical formula? Nobody does, right? It didn't take off. Nobody understood what he was talking about. But, it, but it's just a reality, right, that time, as we get older, seems to speed up. Think about time and the reality of time to a, uh, to a young person. Think about a two-hour car ride to a six-year-old, right? Now, to us, a two-hour car ride, that goes like that to older people. But to a six-year-old, that car ride feels like it's an entire 24-hour day. It takes forever. And the reality is that time moves the same whether you're older or younger. The seconds it ticks off the exact same amount of time. But our experience of time is different. And one of the things that I want to understand is, as we think about time, and especially as Solomon writes about time today, uh, that time is the same everywhere for everyone, and yet our experience of it is different. And Christians should experience time differently than non-Christians. And, and that's essentially what this book or this uh, chapter is about. He is, Solomon is making an apologetic argument. He's making an argument for how belief in God transforms everything about you, even your experience of time. And as God's people, even though we are subject to time and we live under the reality of time, there's a sense in which time is on our side and we need to make use of that time. And there's some deep and very practical implications for us in this passage. So let me read this for us. I'll read all of chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes. This is God's good and kind and gracious word to you today. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. 
time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there is wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to the dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding it. Father, we thank you for giving us this word today, and I pray that you would help us to see uh, your glory in it. And I pray that we would cling tightly to Jesus Christ, who is the king of all time. And I pray that our time would be to him and for him. And that this passage would help us uh, to live in such a way as we can redeem the time. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to look at this passage in three ways today. Uh, first of all, we're going to see, see time's course. Uh, time's course in verses 1 through 8. Uh, time's course. Well, this is a, a very familiar poem. Uh, it was uh, the subject of a popular song uh, in the 60s, early 60s, and it's remained popular, of course, written by the birds. Uh, there's a time to, born, uh, to be born and a time to die. Uh, and the reality of this, this poem and what Solomon is trying to get across to us uh, is that you cannot stop time. Now, when I was a, a boy, I used to dream about uh, different superpowers that, uh, that you could have. And one of them that I used to wish that I had was the ability to stop time. Wouldn't that be a cool thing? Uh, and especially, uh, it'd be wonderful to be able to stop time at a very particular time in, a, in uh, my young childhood. I, when I really wanted it was at this time. When I had done something wrong and my mom said to me, go to your room and wait for your dad to get home. And I can vividly remember various times waiting in my room. Around 5.30, the back door opening and closing, and I could hear the events of the kitchen happening through the air vent that went right down to the kitchen, and the muffled sounds of my mother telling my father what had happened. This was before cell phones, where she couldn't right away tell him what would happen. And him putting down his things and slowly coming up the stairs and me being able to hear all these things and getting to my door and pausing just for a minute before he opened it. I would have loved in that moment, to stop time. 
But the reality is you can't stop those things from happening. I was going to have to face my dad. And you're going to have to face all the events in your life. There's nothing that you can do to stop time. And that's Solomon's main point. Look at where he begins in this poem. This is a beautiful poem that he writes. Where does he begin? A time to be born and a time to die. I mean, he starts in a very heavy place. <laughs> he starts with our, our, uh, our mortality. He starts with our death. And he starts in a way that, that causes us to reflect on our time. There was a silly TV show where a man had to give up and give a speech about his, uh, his uh, I think it was his brother at his brother's wedding. And, and he was a goofy man and he didn't like to talk in public and no one thought he was going to give a good speech. And he said, he said you know, on your tombstone, it was, a, it was a wedding and he began by saying, you know, on your tombstone. And so everyone thought, well, here we go. It's going to have your date of birth and it's going to have the date that you die. And there's going to be a dash in between those two things. And that dash represents everything in your life. Isn't that amazing? I thought, that is an incredible thing to say. (laughs) That on your tombstone, there's going to be a dash that represents everything that happened in your life. And and essentially what, what Solomon is doing is he's boiling down the events of our life into these few verses, into that little dash. And he's saying, all of these things are going to happen to you. You're going to be born and you're going to die. You're going to grow and you're going to shrink. (laughs) There's going to be times of war in your life, but there's going to be times of peace. There's going to be times of joy in your life, but also times of grief. And what Solomon is doing is he's collecting all people under the the rubric of time, under this category of time, and he's saying, this is true for everyone, whether Christian or non-Christian. And you can't stop it. You can't control time. You can't make time do what you want. It goes on and on and on. And yet, we continually try to control time, don't we? Ladies, have you ever bought an anti-aging product? (laughs) Have you bought something to try to turn back the effects of time on your body? Well, Americans spend billions and billions, I think it's like $150 billion Americans spend every year on anti-aging products. And it's not just for women, it's for men as well. Things to make your hair grow back and things to make, you know, uh, you feel younger and all of these things. Well, let me just tell you, there's no such thing as an anti-aging product. It doesn't exist. It's a marketing lie that they have sold to us, and it's a bill of goods that means nothing. There's no such thing as anti-aging product. And here's just something practical for you. If you can't stop time, if you can't control it, then why are we wasting so much money on those products? We shouldn't believe the lie. And you know how I know that these products don't work? You know how I know uh, that, that it's a lie? Because you're getting older. It doesn't matter. You can put creams on your face, and it really doesn't matter. The same thing is going to happen whether or not you spend $100 on a special cream or not. You're going to get older. Now, since you're armed with this knowledge, since you now know these things, and Solomon has taught us these things, it should change the way you live your life. 
Where do, you, where do you spend your time worrying? Where do you spend your time concerned uh, about things of this world? Are you worried about getting older? Well, it's a natural thing to worry about. But just know you are getting older. And there's nothing you can do about it. So embrace it. Instead of trying to control time or stop time, take advantage of the time that you have been given. Instead of spending all that time worrying... Spend it serving other people. Spend it praying to God. Spend it thanking God for the time that he has given you. And when your hair falls out as mine is currently doing, and, and your skin sags, and all of those things, and you, you know that your time is near, know that it's time for that as well. That God has your life, the beginning and the end, and the dash in the middle, all of it is in his hands. Time is going to run its course. Then in verses 9 through 15, you see time's controller as well. It's an interesting thing that he does. He moves right from this, this beautiful poem about time to talking about the one who actually controls time. And I think he does it to say, you know, all of us, all of us are, are under uh, this category of time and we're subject to it. But what about the one that controls time? And he asked this question, can you find any enjoyment in the time that you have here? And his answer is yes. The answer is yes, you can find enjoyment in the time that you have. And he switches his focus. He doesn't want you to think so much about time as much as he wants you to think about the one that controls time. So you can go back and you can check me on this, but there are eight verses in verses 9 through 15. There are eight verses there. And he mentions God or uses a pronoun to describe God nine times in eight verses. And anytime biblical writers do this, they use a word over and over and over, especially the name of God. He's trying to get you to focus on that name and on that one. And he says, think about not time, but think about God. You are subject to time, yes, but God is not subject to time. God stands over and above all time, all history, all the events of history. God stands over and above all the events of your life and everything. As a matter of fact, God made it. And do you know, because God made time, because he created time, do you know what that means? Because he made it, it belongs to him. God owns time. And because God owns it, he can do what he wants with it. He can take time. He can give it to whomever he wants. And he can make whatever happens within the span of time happen however he wants for it to happen. And what has God determined to do with the time that he created it? He gave it to you. He has given you an amount of time for you to use for various things. And in this passage, he says um, he's given you time and he's given you things to do to be busy with, to keep you occupied in life. God has given you things to do. Work is a gift from God to have you occupy the time that he has given you. But he's also given you times of play and enjoyment. He's given you times of celebration. That's part of God's plan for us. And part of this, too, he said in verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time, meaning there's beauty in the world. 
And there's beauty for God's people to, to see and to enjoy, and that's part of God's plan as well. But also, one of the things that he says is, yet, uh, also he's, he's put eternity, eternity into man's heart so that we understand uh, that if we think about it, you realize you are an eternal being, that you will live into eternity. And yet, God has determined that we will never grasp the full nature of eternity. I mean, try to think about it. Try, try just, just for a brief second, think about eternity. I mean, your head kind of short circuits in the mean, while you're trying to think about those things. It's impossible to do it. But that's what God has done. He's given us those things within our time. God owns time. And you know what? If God owns all time, he also owns your time. So God owns your time. And he's given it to you to use for his purposes. And then in verses 14 through 15 there, he says that God's work is the only thing that endures. God's work endures. The things that we do don't endure. Um, we took Alexander to the, to the beach uh, in May, and one of the things that kids love to do, build sandcastles, right? Um, I don't particularly like building sandcastles. Why? It doesn't last. You can build it, and you can work really hard at it, and then what happens? The waves come and it knocks it all down. But for children, their hope springs eternal. And I remember explaining that to Alexander. You know, the waves are going to come and knock this down. And, and as I was explaining that to him, a wave came up and knocked down the sandcastle that we were doing. And he said, well, we can just build it up again. And yeah, we can. We can just build it up. And there's always a hope for children that as you go up for the night and you come back, that the sandcastle is going to be there. But it's not. It's not there. Our work doesn't endure. You can cut the grass, and what happens? Three days later in South Louisiana, it needs it again. Okay? You can clean the kitchen, and what happens? The very next day, you're going to have to clean the kitchen again. Our work doesn't endure, but God's work does. Now, adults, we grow cynical. We grow, you know, we think about these things, and, oh, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, because none of it ever lasts. But as Christians, we need to realize that God's work endures forever, and whatever he does is going to last God's work never washes away. God's work never, never goes away and it lasts into eternity. And what he says there is that we should be in awe of this. We should stand back and look at the work of God and what he does. And instead of being cynical about it, we should say, isn't it amazing that though my work passes away, the work of God doesn't? This is a beautiful reminder for us. As Christians, there's no such thing as chaos in the world. Although things may seem like they're in chaos and things may seem like they're out of control, there's no such thing as chaos. There's nothing outside of God's providence at work in the world. Everything happens according to God's plan and according to his appointed time. Everything. And it's easy to say that right now on a very calm Sunday morning when things are pretty relaxing and the air conditioner's working and, and all of those things. It's easy to say it now, but when things get really hard, it's much harder. But that's why we have God's word to remind us that everything happens exactly how God wants it in its appropriate time. It's all about God. It's all for God, and he does what he wants. And we can rest in God's time right now. But the last thing we see in this passage in verses 16 through 20, we see time's chains. We've seen its course, its controller, 
but now it's chains. This is a very weird passage. <laughs> he talks about beasts and animals and what happens to beasts and humans and all of these things. But it got me thinking about horror movies. And this is what I think he's trying to do. He's talking about the chains of time and how, how time tends to operate. This is, this is how I, I think about it. I don't like horror movies. Some of you might love horror movies and you, you love to sit down and watch horror movies. You like being scared by horror movies. And I had a friend of mine that said it like this. He said, I don't need to pay somebody money to scare me. Life does that enough. Okay. That's kind of how I think about it as well. But in horror movies... There's always, you know, there's this monster, there's this evil guy, there's this bad guy. I think about uh, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre guy, and he's got that, that chainsaw, and he's wearing the mask, and what is he doing? Well, he goes after people with the chainsaw. But it's a slow and steady pursuit, okay? It's very slow, very methodical. And what happens is there's people that are running away from the guy with the chainsaw, and they run a whole lot faster than the guy with the chainsaw, but they can never get away from him, right? It's one reason why I don't like wearing flip-flops. You'll hardly ever see me wearing flip-flops, and I don't like them because if I ever need to run, I want to be ready to run, and you can't run in flip-flops. Um, you especially can't run away from the bad guy in flip-flops. So if you're ever in a horror movie, just leave the flip-flops behind. Wear your tennis shoes. But in horror movies, it doesn't really matter. The monster always catches up. The monster always gets him. And, and that's something of what Solomon is saying here. You know what's going to happen to you? Time is going to catch up with you. You're going to go exactly where the beasts go. You're going to go to the dust He's not making a comment about heaven or hell here. He's simply saying, you're going to die just like the beasts die. So if you look out and you see a, a, you know, a deer on the side of the road, and you see that deer, if you have to drive past it every day, as sometimes we have to do, what happens? It disintegrates, it goes back into the earth, and it becomes dust. And he's saying, you're going to be just like that beast. You're going to become dust. And there's nothing you can do about it. And you need to realize that you, in some senses, are no better off than the animals. And this was written at a time when they didn't have pets, okay? Pets were either um, a nuisance or they were food. That's how they viewed animals, right? We view animals as pets, but they, they view animals in a completely different way. And he wants you to think about it, make, you know, dis dissect yourself from your love of your animals and just think about what happens to animals when they die? It's the same going to be for you. And what's the ultimate difference between you and an animal? Well, he does tell us that there is a huge difference, and animals don't understand that they are given this life to enjoy. Verse 22, so I saw that there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Rejoice in your work, and that's what Solomon says. Rejoice and what God has given you to do. Animals can't rejoice. They don't know how to do it, but you can. But it also should make you humble. It should make you humble about the time that you have here. It shouldn't make you brag about who you are and what you've done, but realize that you are just like a beast of the field, and you're going to be like them one day. It should make you humble because you're not going to have the answers to your deepest questions. I would love it if I could answer your deepest and best questions, but I can't. God has not given us those answers. That doesn't mean he hasn't given us some answers. He certainly has. But we will not also be fully successful in unseating the oppression of this world. That's what he says in this. He says, 
Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And justice, the place where righteousness and justice should stand out, you know, we're supposed to, we're not going to be successful in unseating all of the injustice of the world. And that means that whenever we see injustice, we need to fight against it, absolutely. When we see oppression, we need to fight against it. But we shouldn't be so cocky to think that we can unseat all of it. We're not going to be fully successful in those things. But what can we do? We can rejoice in what God has given us for today. We can enjoy God today. We can think about God today. And we can appreciate who he is and what he has done for us today. So we think about time and as we think about Solomon's reaction to time, he says we're subject to it, we're under it. But ultimately, you know what? Time is on your side because God is on your side and God is the one who does control time. And in Jesus Christ, you should have an eternal mindset. You should have an eternal mindset because death is not the final thing that does you, that, that does you in forever. In Jesus Christ, you live into eternity. That's the beautiful thing about being a Christian. It changes everything about who you are and what you do and how you live your life. And we have a beautiful picture of that today in the Lord's Supper. You know, Jesus Christ, if you have faith in him, he has sealed your eternity. He has sealed it in his life, death, and resurrection. And we celebrate that death here today with the Lord's Supper. We remember what he did for us in space and time and giving his life for us, taking our sin on himself so that we can have life, so that we can enjoy life, so that we can enjoy our families, so that we can enjoy our friends, we can enjoy the fellowship we have, we can enjoy our work, we can enjoy our schoolwork, guys, we can enjoy our pets, everything that God has given us. And we celebrate even those things today in the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this time. We thank you for being the controller of time who stands over and above all of it. We thank you for the gift of time to us. I pray that we would not, as your children, uh, be afraid of it, but that we would look at time and see, see it as your gift to us to make use of the time that we have. And I pray that all of us would enjoy that time and would serve you with it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to invite the elders to come forward to perform.